Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 150 of Fun with Cars for the Malaysian Grand Prix out of Kuala Lumpur. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And in honor of today's 150th episode, we have decided to rename the show F-150. It's, it's... It's the Centennial plus half of another Centennial. It's Centennial plus half Centennial. And they built Ford Tough as well. I don't know. <laughs> no, yeah, I am Jim Lau, and uh, it's, it's we had uh, mixed um, reviews of today's race, actually. Uh, some people saying it was better than Ambien, and some people saying it was great to see all the cars and dry weather and all that. So uh, well, we have plenty to talk about there. But we actually, do. We have a new feature we want to share with you guys. Well, this is, uh, you know, this is a arbitrary landmark. We've hit 150. And to celebrate an arbitrary landmark, we have something that I think is truly exciting. We have a, a, a third reoccurring uh, member of our podcasting team. And this guy is a, a, a close friend of mine. Uh, we met each other through uh, my day job. And we've become fast friends. He was really supportive of me throughout my major accident. And he's just this really cool guy. He was he was a former professional jockey. He he raced international internationally as a horse jockey and said, ah, this isn't exactly what I want to do. So he became an F1 photographer. And what he is is a brilliant photographer. His name is Jamie Price. And so he's a little dude then if he's a jockey. He is not the tallest man I've ever met. Okay, fair enough. But he's not he's not absurdly little or anything like that. He's not he's not he would not make necessarily a fantastic addition to the NBA. But he's a brilliant guy and he's agreed to um join our team, which I I'm seriously as you can tell by the tone of my voice, I'm super excited about. But anyway, without further ado, Jamie Price. Hey guys, uh, my name is Jamie Price. I'm a photographer based in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I am actually here on the other side of the world in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, for the uh, Formula One Grand Prix, which happens today. It's about 10.50 in the morning on Sunday, so we're about five hours from Green Flag. Hopefully it won't rain um, for the start of this, because if it does like it did yesterday, then I doubt we'll be getting much, much racing in to start with, or we certainly won't have a a green flag star it'll be behind the safety car for sure so yeah there you have it uh, this this isn't going to happen every podcast but uh when it works out in jamie's schedule he plans on uh joining us and then in addition to that um he takes fantastic photography and uh we'll we'll uh share more of that stuff as it goes as well so this really it, for me personally this is a a huge uh, what I'll call a huge get for us because we're just a couple guys talking F1 but we just happen to be friends with some really fantastic people. Yeah, and I think it's great to get the perspective of some of the things we can't see on TV. And obviously, we can't go to every race, although that would be super cool. Um, <laughs> although a lot of travel. Yeah. So it's like, why can't we go to every race ourselves? Yeah, it just takes time and money and, and yeah, lots of both. crazy amounts of effort. Um, so, you know, it was interesting also to get a perspective on uh, what it's like as an F1 photographer, you know, how it, how it is to spend your day and kind of how busy you are. So he gave us some insight into that. Oh, I mean, real quick. You know, we're how many ever thousands of miles from an event, and he'll be how many how many ever tens of feet from that same event. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Spent most of the weekend kind of wandering around the track. Um, I work as part of a photography team that supplies images for Force India and Marusha, as well as a bunch of commercial and editorial clients. So we have a, a largeness list of 
needs and um, client needs and editorial needs were all running around most of the day from, you know, not quite daybreak, but uh, at least 10 a.m. To, to sunset on most of these days, depending on what day it is. But um, there are there is a lot of work to do, so I've spent most of the time spent one practice in the Force India garage, um, which was actually my first time working in an F1 garage, which was really interesting, working around Sergio and Nico Hulkenberg. Um, both of them are really professional. It's, it was just really interesting to see how the team works, um, and it was really a challenge for me to kind of keep my head on a swivel and, and make sure that I wasn't in their way, that I was taking the pictures that I need and getting the shots that I need for clients and the team, um, but also not getting in the way of a live working F1 team during a live F1 practice. Um, but that was really exciting. Uh, yeah, like you say, being right in the garage uh, with the cars coming and going, uh, we can you can tell from TV that it's crazy, but I'm sure to be there um, and your probably number one objective is don't screw anything up, right? Don't get in anyone's way because if you're the guy that like knocks over a tray and falls onto the car and breaks the front wing, you know, like that's a bad day. You're saying so, he's a doctor at first, do no harm. Right. So, and then you know, obviously these are these are his bosses, effectively. Uh, so he's got to take good pictures uh, of everything that's going on, and we've seen those photos, and they are really, really sweet, phenomenal. And uh, and then to uh, just as I think the head on a swivel is probably the right way to do it because uh, I've spent a little bit of time supporting uh, race teams, and in in my setup, it's uh, you know data and video which is important, but not nearly as important as, you know, running the race and, and you know, passing cars and not causing problems and, you know, delays and pit stops and things like that. So I can, I can sympathize with the, like, where, whatever I'm doing is not nearly as important as, like, if I cause there to be a penalty or if I slow something down or, right. you know, like if there's yes. something flapping on the car and they have to come in and change it, like... I would, you know, run and hide in the right. back of the garage. Right, it's like, oh, the pit stop's coming in. Oh, it's going to be a wreck. Oh, and the photographer's in. The car's down. The car is down. Right. The photographer is wedged in the car. Yeah, you don't want that. So clearly uh, he's, he's had some experience and is, uh, is quite professional at it because uh, he's able to, you know, make, make this all happen. And it sounds like he's been doing it for a while. So um, that, that's got to be really cool, though. And, and then also to get just kind of the feeling in the garage. You know, that's something from talking to people that worked as mechanics and worked with tire suppliers and things in F1 over the years. Uh, one of the biggest things you don't get uh, from just watching the cars on screen is you don't think about behind every single car on the grid. Of course, we think about maybe the Red Bulls and Ferraris and stuff more, but, you know, all the team behind everyone, even at you know, Marussia or Force India or anywhere on the, up, up and down the pit lane, yeah. is there's a whole team of mechanics specific to one driver. There's the guys that are specific to the team that work with both drivers, and there's just this whole infrastructure behind there, and there's always kind of a vibe you know some people work really well with their team some people are kind of dicks and you know, <laughs> um, right right you know right. just kind of how that is so it's, it's interesting to uh to get some of that insight well and there's that you know kind of like the vietnam uh cliche phrase is like you weren't there man well i mean that's true of any major event there's going to be tons of behind the scenes stuff that someone that Sarah is going to pick up on that someone would be unable to in any other circumstance. Yeah, and there's even a bit of that with the, the layout of the track and kind of uh, the way things are uh, with that. I mean, of course, we can see where all the corners look like and we could, re you know, uh, ride along on onboard video and things like that. But uh, we asked Jamie about sort of some of the perspectives on the track and uh, what he thinks works well there. So let's see what he has to say about that. The, the final corner has been really interesting. There's a kind of a tower. Most people have seen it in the TV pictures and all, but there's a tower that you can kind of get up elevated over the track and shoot down onto the cars. Um, a lot of people are locking up into that corner and into turn one, but you qu don't quite have the elevation to watch them lock up into turn one. Um, so the, the last turn is really interesting because you can just watch these guys come down the, the long back straight. Yeah, and that's that's really cool to, you know, because you see it 
on camera. You can see the occasional car lockup or whatever, but to really understand what the drivers are going through, uh, that's a tough corner to get right because they have runoff room and they really want to maximize um, their top speed and minimize braking and all that kind of stuff. But then there's risk to that. So where do you find the limit and how do you deal with it? But um, kind of the elephant in the room, in a sense, uh, that has disturbed a lot of fans in Formula One and it's become a controversy even between you and I is the new sound of the cars or lack thereof. The noise, the level of noise, um, has been really disappointing, and I've, I've been fairly vocal about it. I, you know, I was a, a F1 fan for a long time, um, and, and I paid a lot of money to go to races when I was younger, and, and my dad and I went to a couple races together. And uh, I'll never forget the first time I heard a V10 engine just screaming by down the, the Indianapolis front straight. It, it honestly changed my life and made me fall in love with the sport, which is why I'm here today, because I love the sport. Um, and I wanted to chase it professionally and, and you know, do this for a living. Um, but now it's, it's truly you don't need earplugs to be here. The only time I've worn earplugs all weekend was when I was standing in the garage next to the engine. Um, and even then, you don't need them. Um, it's, it's like a, a loud generator, honestly. So, you know, the, the engine volume from last year has been really disappointing. I know you guys talked about that in your last podcast, um, saying <laughs> that you, Robin would get a swift kick in the belly <clears throat> to, to kind of give that the, the audible punch that we're missing now, um, which I would love to have somebody, you know, come punch me when a car goes by to, to have that feeling again. But you really don't quite have the same, same sense of, of power like you used to from the old cars. You don't feel the vibrations in your feet. Um, you don't feel the vibrations in your lungs and your, your neck. It truly made your hair stand on end. Um, and I do feel really bad for the people that never did see the old engines or hear the old engines because um, I, I think it's, it's a very different sport to what it was last year. Ah, uh, the sounds and opinions on the sound. So, first of all... <laughs> I think that pretty much sells it. It's ironclad. He was there. He was there, he man. He was there. And that's, that is what it is. So, first of all, um, I will extend that offer to anyone within, within range of me at the next F1 race uh, where I attend. Um, if they really want to get punched in the gut uh, every time the cars go by. Although, I, th- I think I've amended that slightly. I think that the next best thing is I should get one of those air horns, that, you know, the really annoying Ferrari yeah. fans have. Yeah. yeah. Because that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. That would, you know, that would really get you, and really you could feel it in your lungs. Why don't you bring that uh, gas horn and a comb, and you can like comb the hair up as you, right? And that is like, huh? Yeah. So, so a few things, right? Um, So, I think in a way, I don't feel as bad for the people who didn't know it before, um, because they didn't know it before. So they go to this race and they're like, wow, these cars sound neat. Or maybe they don't, but th- this is what they sound like. So maybe it's worse for the people that knew V10s and no V8s and now they hear this. I think those are the people that are complaining the most. If someone were somehow brand new to Formula One and uh, maybe it's you know a little kid and they're going to a race with their family for the first time, they're probably going to think that it's cool. They're probably going to oh, you know, last year would sound better. So those people, I think, actually maybe have it the best in terms of comparing the sound to what it was before. But I think there's, there's two things, two points I want to make. Uh, one is, and I, we've talked about this a bit before, but um, it's, the sound is, is one part of the whole equation of what the powertrains are and what the sport is trying to do and how it's trying to fit into the world and so on. So uh, Will Buxton, actually, our, the pit lane reporter for NBC Sports, yeah. made a good point that if, 
if they were to change the um, change the regulations to say, okay, we want, a, we want some crazy high revving, whatever, super powerful, kicks you in the ass kind of sound that fewer manufacturers would be interested in it. We might lose Renault and possibly Mercedes, making it a spec Ferrari series. <laughs> Does anybody want that? You know, no. we already have, I mean, enough, you know, there's only three powertrains and then, you know, and of course Honda would probably not want to join in at that point. So would it be better if it's a spec series that sounds awesome? Um, if, if that sound is awesome. And I agree that that sound is, is, is a good sound, but so one thing is okay, the sound objectively on itself, I don't know what you think is all that bad. I, I understand that some people do and that's subjective and that's, that's completely valid to think that, but understanding that it's not just as simple as like, hey, let's choose the market relevance that we want for Formula One. Okay, we've chosen that. Now let's choose the sound that we want. Like these things are all interconnected. There's always compromises about fuel use and tires and sustainability and manufacture input and all that. And I mean, something you've said in the past that is absolutely true, and I will absolutely let you make your second point, um, that, uh, you know, sound, noise, that is uh, wasted energy. You know, producing that noise takes energy. So that energy is not driving the wheels. It is, uh, you know, it is making the noise. It's the, just moving a lot of air, but which here's, is then hitting here's, people. Here's the problem. You know, Formula One, in many ways, is the victim of its own success. What it had before was not only a fantastic noise, but a very unique one. Because the, all the other sports had already moved in a direction um, that was more energy efficient in some ways and trying to stay more relevant um, with the mainstream auto industry. And so in some ways, this is Formula One catching up and maybe even surpassing in some ways. And that part of it's all good. The problem is, is that one of the coolest features of Formula One in the past was the noise. And we've lost that. I mean, Jamie mentioned how when he went to a Formula One race when he was younger, that the, the sound is what really brought him in. And really just hooked him and changed the course of his life effectively. What's very true for me as well, except it was a champ car race in the year 2000. It was the Detroit Grand Prix. With turbocharged Uh, engines. With turbocharged engines. So. But they were, trust me, plenty loud, much louder than the turbo engines of now. They were... They were more like Formula One in the 80s turbo engines, okay? Near 1,000 horsepower, 2.65 liter V8 turbo engines. They were crazy. They were awesome. And it was the sound that pulled me in. I hadn't even seen the cars, but just hearing them just drove me nuts. And that's what, that's what convinced me to do the karting and the Formula car. That's what made me broke. Actually, I take it back. That's, that's what uh, ruined my financial career, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was thinking about making fun of you for that, but I was like, that wouldn't be right. That's like your whole thing. Right, so I guess... For one, so Jamie was there and has heard them in person. Yes. But I, I think it is important to separate the nostalgia and what you first heard. I mean, I guess what, what would be cool is to interview, you know, the 10-year-old who's walking up to the race for the first time. And, you know, who, or I don't know how old you were when you were first taken to your event. but uh, <laughs> it <was> 20. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, but, you know, anyone who's new to it. Because I still think they'd be impressed. You know, I still think you walk up and it's new and you hear, you know, and you hear the crazy, the turbos and the whistling and whatever. And you see the cars sliding around or maybe before you even see that. I don't think it's, I mean, it, 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 one thing, it's a comparison to, okay, what was it like the first time I heard it or the first time you heard it or Jamie or anybody? And then, but what is it like for the first time someone hears it new this year? And I, I if they walk up and go, yeah, this is really lame. I don't think this is cool at all. Then okay, that's a problem. Then maybe that, then maybe that energy isn't really wasted. It's like some of the energy goes into moving the cars on the track. Some of the energy goes into marketing the series. 
by simply moving air at people and right. hitting them with it. Right. It's like, hey, that's air, marketing. Air moving hitting instead right? of being punched. Yes. So that's the that that's one one question. But I, I so I think um, part of it is uh, is to get the to convey the sound better uh, through TV. You know the way the mics are because on board on the cars it actually usually sounds pretty cool. Um, and, and these, you know, they've remixed the, the balances and stuff a little bit, but a lot of times the track side, yes, the cars are quieter. And I don't think the fact that you don't have to wear earplugs is that bad. Cause that was part of the like challenge. You're trying to talk to the guy next to you or whatever. And then like, oh, this, you know, the season's coming on. This is Jim the basically admitting that he never was able to put on earplugs. It was too hard. No, you had to roll and I, tighten and then push and then the timing. I ah! agree, man. No, the first time I saw F1 in person, cause on TV before it actually seemed fairly civilized to me you know you'd hear, right. the, you'd hear the high revving you'd hear the kind of you are know, you talking about the british grand prix the british grand prix was my first in person yeah, yeah. 2006 and uh and it was and you know there was it was like holy crap this is different because they still had traction control then and that's when they were playing with um some of the downshift uh or you know off throttle uh you know throttle maps and different things so you'd hear on downshifts all kind of crazy pops and whirs and, and weirdness on downshifts um and during braking and then mid corner, they'd usually just bury the throttle and the traction control sorted out on the way out of the corner. So I was at Farm Corner in Silverstone, which is no longer a thing. That's bypassed by the new arena circuit the way it's laid out. Uh. But it was at the end of the sort of the back straightaway, if you will. Um, and then as they were leaving me, they were kind of going under the bridge. So it was just a little chicane, then under a bridge, and then off from there. So it was a lot of traction control, which was a thing back then. So on the way down, it was all this popping and banging and crazy, you know, uh, you know, keeping the exhaust hot, keeping the engine going. And then on the way out, um, it was just the throttle uh, the traction control doing its very best to keep the tires from spinning too much right um so a lot of again popping and, and detonating you know, not detonating but sounding really crazy and i was <laughs> well, like maybe detonating well, you never been, know I one mean... never knows what's all going on there so it was definitely impressive and it was definitely crazy but my point is i think it probably is still impressive and crazy it's just different and it's i don't think the right thing to say it's just it's just way well, worse and to support your theory i the, it's definitely it's definitely, in my opinion, especially when I put my engine nerdy hat on. That's a good hat. Thank you. It's a cool sound. I mean, it's a very complicated sound. There's a lot of whirs and twists and buzzes and going on. You're hearing this kind of orchestra of sounds, and you know that a lot of different interactions are happening to make forward progress, to make that forward motion go. And it's doing so in, at sometimes, very clever ways. And so I really appreciate that Formula One is showing, hey, look how fast these cars are still, and yet we're doing all these different systems. We're putting together all this different work to make it happen. I appreciate that. But I think the nostalgia is real, and it's there for a good reason, because those old sounds were brilliant, and they really just captured you. Right, and and I don't disagree with any of that. And, you know, although you could say the same thing about you know, cars from, you know, the 50s or 60s or 70s or 80s, any any other period. You know, you hear a historic race and you hear some of these classic V12s and you hear these old things. Yeah, they were all wrong. That they was sound wrong. awesome no, too. No, that was all you know? wrong. All... This is the first and only time this has happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there, are, there are great sounds. I mean, we hear the safety car go by and it's this much lower pitch V8. <laughs> and that sounds cool too. So and you're like, no, I miss the 50s. There are lots of cool sounds <laughs> in the world and F1 used to have one and they have a different one now. And I, you know, I think that life will go on and ultimately in the net, it's better that the series is more healthy. It has more manufacturers coming into it and will be, you know, more engine manufacturers in general and more, more investment. 
I think is all a good thing. And if also this means that some sports, you know, Ferrari makes a sports car out of this and they have a similar powertrain and Kurs gets better, I think there's such a big thing Kurs about... Kurs and Urs. Yeah, the whole, any, or cover all don't the energy, pigeon, man. Don't pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, we already know we have three engine manufacturers right now. We have Renault, Ferrari, and Mercedes. We know for a fact we're getting a fourth next year, Honda joining McLaren. Right. Who knows? Maybe the Honda will sound epic. Right. And, you know, and maybe that'll be what Toyota wants to then get back into the fray after that. Like, oh, well, Honda's back there and Toyota's LMP stuff is going well and whatever. If they could say, oh, let's, you know, hey, it's, it's, it's turbos and hybrids and crazy stuff. Now maybe they'd want to get back involved. And because, you know, Toyota, out of any of the manufacturers with the Prius, has really gone huge on hybrid and that's, that's the wave, you know, of the present, if not for the future and so on. So I think there is also that marketing thing of hybrid just sucks you know the people that are into sports cars and or you know anything from ferraris or corvettes or whatever you're into um if they go oh yeah anything that's a hybrid sucks and i like the idea that the fact that it's a hybrid doesn't make it suck i mean you may not like a prius as a car but mclaren p1 is a hybrid and porsche 918 is a hybrid you know these lmp cars formula one cars are hybrid it's like hybrids can be cool and it's not you know there are just like there are cool gas cars and cool diesel cars and crappy gas and crappy diesel cars like if the you know the powertrain isn't what makes it cool it's the whole package well, and how it's all used sometimes the powertrain is what makes it cool but i know what you're saying it's right. not always what makes it cool and here's the thing pretty much no one i hope depending irrelevant to which side of the fence you're on should like hybrids hybrids is quite literally literally and invariably a compromise some people would like, yep, yeah, bring it back to the old way because, you know, global warming is myth and everything else is stupid. We should just burn as much fossil fuel as possible. And then there's the other side, and I'm going – that's the one extreme view. And then the other side is um, everything that's related to fossil fuels is the devil, and everything should be electric power drain if you don't ride your bicycle. You know, and that's the other side. Hybrid is it, – it's a compromise. Neither side is happy with that. But the reality is we're, we're moving towards a place where um, electrifying uh, forward motion is becoming more and more mainstay. Gasoline engines are slowly but surely being phased out. And that's just the reality that we have to deal with. Right. And I think something like the McLaren P1 and the 918 as well are really And cool. the Ferrari LaFerrari. Yeah. Um, are like – I guess I know more about the P1 from, you know, the YouTube videos and things like that. But the way that they're using the gas engine um, to make most of the power, but then filling in the little gaps during upshifts and in certain ways just to augment Torque that. fill. Oh, it's a brilliant thing. It's like that's that's the best of both worlds because you it, this car still sounds awesome. It's got this, you know, really nice sounding engine to it and has all the, the, the sex appeal and everything that you want out of a supercar and also performs really well. And, you know, the fact that you can drive it for six miles on electric-only power, that's kind of a neat little bonus. But, like, that's really cool. <laughs> that, is, that is a good thing, and I don't think anyone and looks at that car and goes, oh, that's a hybrid, that sucks. This Maybe is off topic, does. but I have to say there is a very real downside to that, a very real common side. That stuff also adds 400, 500 pounds to the car. Right. So, yeah, it would be maybe cooler if it were all – would it be cooler if it were just – just gas, though, I mean, I feel like the fact that it has all these things is part of what makes it so neat and special as a car. That Well, I anyways. mean, yeah, but in a sense, weight is the enemy, and they added its weight, so I don't know. Anyway, this is really getting off topic. I think what we can all agree on is that uh, Jamie's absolutely right and you're wrong. Oh, it's not that simple. But in this case, back to Formula One and back to sounds, uh, they actually don't all sound quite the same, and that's another thing I think you get a better perspective on hearing them live. So, Jamie? Some of the cars sound better than others. The Ferrari is very, very quiet. Um, it's, it's got a lot more turbo whistle to it. It doesn't 
it doesn't kind of bark um, like the like the Mercedes engines do. The Renault engine sounds a little bit rougher, um, not quite as smooth, but they all have the same like level of of noise, and and that level of noise isn't isn't huge. So, uh, yeah, I love that. I think that's something that needs to be remembered and discussed. We're not just talking about Formula One engines. We're talking about the Mercedes engine, the Ferrari engine, the Renault engine. And it's inevitable that they have made different decisions and have different takes. And you're going to hear that. And I, I just love hearing the differences. And it's also kind of telling to hear that Mercedes has a bark because, to me, that uh, kind of invokes healthiness. Whereas uh, the Ferrari is quiet, which invokes efficiency. And then finally, the Renault sounding a bit rougher. Well, you know, we're also seeing that in performance. Yeah, and we also now get these new graphics from Formula One with uh, fuel use. And that's been a little bit interesting as well to see how the different teams are, are using their fuel. I mean, we never got an insight into that. We just figured, okay, they all start with the same amount and uh, they want to finish on as little as possible. And then short of that, you know, sometimes we know they need to back off to accommodate that. But to be able to actually see the exact percentage of fuel used and see how, how different that can be uh, between from one car to another, even of two of the same uh, car with two different drivers in it, how different that can be has been kind of interesting. So, yeah, it's interesting to see the, um, you know, just that part of the strategy and get some more insight into it when someone backs off from chasing someone else in front of them to know, okay, well, that, actually, that guy was pretty high in fuel use, so he's, you know, it must be he's got to back off because of fuel, not specifically tires or another problem in the car or, uh, or anything like that. It was interesting to watch the cars in the rain, though. I think in the dry, um, and maybe I'm not seeing quite as much as the TV pictures show because I can't be everywhere on track at all, but I didn't see that much sliding in the dry, um, a little bit, and, and maybe a little bit more than last year, but you know, not, not huge amounts. The drivers are really compensating on, on how they get back on the power to keep the car from sliding because sliding isn't the fastest way around the track. It's exciting, but it's not the fastest. Um, but the rain certainly changed that up a little bit. I was kind of at the bottom, like drivers right on turn four for qualifying, and almost everybody was was full opposite lock um, oversteer as they came up that hill uh, toward the fast sweeping left hander turn five. So it was pretty exciting to watch everybody come off of that turn and and really have to work the wheel and and the car to to get it around the track in one piece. So separate from the sound specifically, I do think most people are on board with the way the way the torque is in these powertrains and yes. having so much more torque uh, combined with the tires to really make it you know a, a, a sort of a hairy drive at some of these points. You know, it really does. Uh, we see some more um, not necessarily errors from the driver, but just you know tricky moments the drivers have to deal with. And that shows how good of drivers they are. So I think that's that's a cool aspect of it, and it is interesting to see, um, you know, get get some insight into just kind of what that looks like in person, and and seeing some of the guys when the cars really are quite a, quite a bit to handle. Yeah, absolutely. And this is this is what I love about this. Just generally, is this isn't like he's coming on with some expert analysis. Oh, you see, blah, blah, blah is happening because so-and-so did this, blah, blah, blah. No, he, he's just seeing it. He sees it, and he is an expert in the sense that he's, he's around it a lot, and he soaks a lot of it in. But he's, he, he's there, and that, to me, I don't know. I just have to repeat that this is huge for me, and I love this. And, uh, yeah, but we did have a race. Yeah, so uh, I thought there was plenty though to, to watch and keep track of. Uh, of course, Lewis Hamilton uh, started from the start, uh, from, from P1, and was in the lead for the entirety of the race, except when he pitted, and actually Nico Hulkenberg led for a brief period. Until yeah, he, I remember he, uh, that. Yep. 
but basically dominated uh, on the race today and came uh, came home with a very, very comfortable lead over his teammate, Nico Rosberg. So making the first Mercedes 1-2 since 1955, which is a big deal for them. Right. But um, And it has to be said that... that uh, Rosberg is two for two on epic starts because Rosberg did not start in second place. He was third. Mm-hmm. No, fourth? To the third. That's right. He pimped uh, Alonso for the third spot on the grid uh, right at the end. And he was able to get the jump on Vettel early and, you know, take charge and comfortably, fairly comfortably have second place. Well, and Daniel Ricciardo was able to get the jump on Vettel as well. Which, That's uh, right. So that was, that was quite cool to see the two Red Bulls fighting each other and to have Ricciardo in front. I mean, I just love that. I think a lot of people do, you know, seeing someone, <laughs> uh, in, you know, get the better of, uh, of Sebastian Vettel. Um, where then I think, you know, Vettel radioed to the team and says, hey, what can we do to screw up Daniel Ricciardo's race? Oh, man. And then I they mean, came up with everything they possibly could. Uh, we, yeah, let's talk about this now. Daniel Ricciardo is going to have as much bad luck as Mark Webber did in his career in the next few races at this rate. I mean, he already, he was disqualified from his podium finish. So, yeah, finish. he drives his heart out at home in Australia, is on the podium, and then, like, an hour later, like, oh, by the way, that doesn't count. By the way, meaningless. So he doesn't get any points from that. And then this race, it's just a comedy of errors. Okay, he goes in for a pit stop. Everything's good. He didn't do anything wrong. And they don't bolt the left front wheel on correctly. He Dan- notices it straight away, by the way. It gets as on the radio. Do, yeah. As do the left front corner workers on the team. He was just released anyway. The left front corner workers are like, it's not on, it's not on. And they were like, send him out. Um, so he stopped in pit lane. They rolled him back, got that fixed. Then he went in for another pit stop because his wing fell apart. Right, because I think during trying to fix the wheel, they jacked up the front wing. And Anyway. Right. So then that fell apart. Then he had to go there. Then he went to another pit stop, and then something else happened. And then finally he retired. Well, he had a penalty for the unsafe oh, release. Oh, that's right. He had a penalty for the seconds. unsafe release. Penalty for that. Then he... Then they retired the car early. I mean, it was just one thing after another, after right. another. And then, we're still not done. Then, the FIA says, hey, we don't like your behavior. He has a 10-10 spot grid penalty for Bahrain next week. Yeah. Uh, so, I think, you know, it's... it's, it's <laughs> you know, to look at it. So, Sebastian Vettel, in the first race, of course, retires very early and has a terrible race. And then I think, you know, he probably sends a memo like, oh, by the way, you should go take a really close look at uh, Daniel Ricciardo's fuel flow system. <laughs> mm, just in case. And oh, then now this God. one. You Vettel... know what that reminds me of mm. is the kind of, um, the kind of like evildoer plot twist that they gave Alain Prost during the, the documentary Senna. Yeah. They kind of made Prost out to be the, vi- uh, the villain a little bit, which was a little bit of shame. But, hey, Senna's an amazing guy. So, um there was that race where uh, Santa won, then Prost was like, you should take a look at the thing. Right. Or, man, in Rush, right. when uh, Lauda, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah, with the, uh, with the wing width. So uh, it was, it was, it, it's fun to take that, you know, controversy, controversy, the uh, conspiracy kind of approach to it. But it, it is hard to see Vettel's car be fine and have everything go wrong with Daniel Ricciardo in the most ridiculous way. Right. And, and actually, we heard before this race that uh, Daniel Ricciardo's fuel flow sensor had already failed. Yes. Which I wasn't really clear about. It's like, does that mean he's going to get disqualified anyway? Like, if, why is he running? It is like, all bizarre, so the whole, yeah. The whole fuel flow sensor thing has been, it's a really abstract issue because it's not, you've done something to the car that is going to make you faster, but then, you know, you're cheated. It's not that. It's just sort of like, you have this sensor that just needs to tell us if everything's okay. And we don't know if the sensor is okay. So we don't know for sure that you did anything wrong. 
but you still only have the same amount of fuel. So we know you didn't do anything really cheating, but we can't check for sure to see that at no point could you have possibly done something that might have been better. So it's like really abstract, and it's all about the technicalities of the sensor and the backup sensor and which sensor is certified and all this. And then the fact that, say, well, he's, so he's driving on the sensor that's already failed, which the, the car is fine. It just means the thing can't sense how much fuel is going through. It's like the whole thing is really like, needs, a, needs a looking at uh, in terms of how, I mean, flow meters aren't the most complicated things in the world. If we can make these crazy turbo engines and you know, energy recovery systems and crazy aerodynamics and all the science that goes into that, clearly somebody should be able to sort out the fuel flow sensors so that that's not a talking point. Because I feel like if that's what we have to talk about after an F1 race, like something has gone wrong. You know, like <laughs> the sounds everyone can hear and feel and whatever, and the look of the cars, and that's another whole, <laughs> whole <laughs> issue. But it's like those things, okay, those are things that fans can understand and can get behind. And, you know, or, you know, and even the, okay, the different tire compounds, okay, that's about as geeky as you sort of should have to get to sort of really, you know, understand Formula One. But when we're into the details of fuel flow sensors, what the, you know, something's gone wrong there. Yeah, and it's gone wrong on Ricardo. Yeah, it, oh, boy. You know, listen, Vettel has not had a perfect season thus far, and uh, we need to see how the season plays out. But, okay, moving on from it, I have to give Ricardo tons of respect for the way he handled himself afterwards. You know, the camera was put in front of him at the end of the race, you know, before the end of the race. And he was like, look, there's a lot of good things that's going on here. I'm happy with the way I performed and there's a lot to take away from this, and the team is always learning, so we will learn and get better. And, boy, it, it's real easy to say, well, that's what you should say, but when you're in the moment, when you've got so much emotion uh, built into this, and when you have so much writing, this is his career, and his, you know, this is living the dream, quote-unquote. So to be able to put that perspective on it, I just have a lot of respect for. Yeah, although I have to wonder, um, I mean, you think about the whole situation, is there's a lot of pressure on him because he is, you know, in the same car, in, in, in the biggest air quotes I can muster, as Sebastian Vettel. Right? Those are he's, sizable air quotes. He is in, thank you, uh, he is in the Red Bull. Uh, so, you know, you want to see how do you stack up against, you know, just the reigning four-time-in-a-row champion, which is just kind of crazy in, in itself. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of pressure put on your shoulders, but at the same time, I, I don't think any. I mean, no one, I don't think, really bets on Ricardo to win the championship, right? You figure the way Red Bull is, and the way Sebastian Vettel and Christian Horner and Helmut Marco and the whole thing, is that you know it's it's if it, if if Ricardo is winning and and uh, you know it, it's ahead in the championship and Vettel can somehow um, you know gain points and they can move him around it's like they, they will do that so it's he's really I don't think fighting for the championship this year and it's not the kind of team though where it's like right, hey I we mean, really need the money if you can move a step forward so he has the benefit of the team has bajillions of dollars um, bajillions they, yeah three point seven bajillion yeah, and and it's you know, they recognize that these faults aren't his aren't his problem. I mean, it's a much bigger deal if you're in a mid pack or it's certainly a back of the pack team. Because if you're in a, a, a Caterham or a Marusha, if you got, if you can get your way up to a point, and then that that's huge. And then if that's something you gets disqualified for for whatever reason, then that's like much more of a problem in terms of like, you know, what can we say to our sponsors and the money coming in and the TV rights and all this stuff. Yeah. So it's like being in the Red Bull. I guess he has he's still on this kind of runway period where it's like, okay, things are going well. It's not his fault. Like all he can do really is he's he's is, doing everything be, he can do. Is he's to be being exactly phenomenal. what he's doing, right? Yeah. Is to be positive about it, try to take the lessons and know that it doesn't mean that okay, well we can't afford to go do this test now if we don't get this money or the team's in trouble or whatever. It's like okay, they've they've had some issues, they've had a lot of issues. He's had he's got zero points, Dan Ricardo does. Yeah. Um but 
you know, and of course, you know, Vettel, I'm sure, wants to be ahead of him in the championship. Vettel wants to be ahead of everyone in the championship. <laughs> yes, Everybody he does. wants to be ahead of everyone in the championship. I guess that's a dumb thing to say. But everyone wants to be ahead of everyone in the championship. Yes, right. that is absolutely but, true. You know, so it, it's in a way, it's not as bad a deal as as it could be. You know, it would be more heartbreaking for McLaren. It's like after having such a bad season, now they're finally back. Oh, and they're disqualified. It's like ah, oh, that's a big challenge. So yeah, but I mean, you're absolutely right. But still, as an individual, as a person. I'm sure that there's lots of pressure he's put on himself to do well. He probably and the, goes back into his motorhome and just says, like, whatever the craziest swear word he can come up with. He's probably on the media. Right. Like, oh, yeah, we have a lot of positives. Looking forward. He just goes back and he's like, can I also Can I assume that he's also eating a Vegemite sandwich? Can I, hey, by the way, um, I, I have to say, your wife has always said that your air quotes are a good size. Oh, good. You were just thinking about that for a while. I was. You? And then I just wanted to bring it back. <laughs> oh, boy. Another driver that I have a lot of respect for and it's just growing and growing is the son of Jan Magnussen, who was there for the first time. He was not in Australia because he was where I was, which was at the 12 Hours of Sebring, which is a big endurance race here in the States. Did you run up behind him and go, Jan Magnussen, like, did you know Magnuson. that in 1974 <laughs> you did this? And he'd be like, what are you doing? Get away from me. Yeah, he's like, who are you? Security? Anyway, uh, he was there, but Kevin Magnussen, uh, he drove a difficult race today. He did ultimately make a small mistake, but... I just really enjoy the performance and professionalism and everything he's bringing to the McLaren team that really makes it feel like a much more complete setup. I think that he's handling his situation phenomenally well. He took a lot of responsibility personally and was very apologetic to the team for his very, very um, understandable mistake he made on the second lap of the Malaysian Grand Prix when he ended up touching Raikkonen's uh, right rear wheel Mm -hmm. with his left front. That was, in my opinion, wasn't even his fault. It was a racing incident, but it was deemed his fault, and he took a lot of responsibility for it. But he still, given that, recovered and got a couple points for the team. And he's performing well as a driver. The McLaren isn't as strong as it was when Lewis Hamilton was a rookie. And... I just think he brings a lot to the table. I think that uh, Sergio Perez brought a lot of strengths to McLaren last year, but I think that Kevin Magnussen really works hard to fill the voids that Perez, the things that Perez couldn't excel in. I think Kevin Magnussen does that very well, in addition to also performing. So is that a euphemism for someone being a difficult driver? Is He brought a lot of strength to the team. Uh, it's like, he's, like, he's the common enemy that brought everyone together in McLaren. But I don't know. <laughs> if that's, if that's a, a sideways compliment. It is not, okay. but right. sure. We get what I'm saying. Uh, so Checo Perez had probably the most disappointing of days today. Oh, yeah. You when gotta, apparently his car you was stuck in fourth gear and couldn't even get to the grid, let alone start the race, let alone do a single lap. Probably because it's a quiet hybrid. That's, that's my guess probably as to Probably that's why. the deal. Uh, which is a shame, too, because uh, his teammate Hulkenberg ended up fifth in the other Force India. So, you know, the car... And Hulkenberg was the one and only other person to lead the race. Yeah. So Oh, actually, is that true? Yeah, I think that's I true. I think it is, yeah. Because yeah. Rosberg's stops were slightly before Lewis's. Yeah. So, um, you know, that you know could have been, you know, in dry pace and so on. 
one. It could have actually been uh, could have been a, a contender. Um, Checo was going to start 14th. He kind of had a, a difficult weekend all the way around. Nico did make it. Uh, Hulkenberg, that is, made it to Q3 and ended up seventh on the grid. So um, you know that was certainly a much better starting point. But uh, difficult, very difficult weekend, and that sucks to like not even be able to take part in the race. And it's like, well, yeah. I'll just sit this one out and watch it on TV. But I'm glad you brought up Hulkenberg. Hulkenberg was actually um, on his way to finish fourth, but they made a decision to try to run a long three-stint race instead of a four-stint race, or maybe it's four versus five. I don't know. I didn't keep up with tire changes super closely. Anyway, uh, he couldn't, at the end of the day, hold off um, Fernando Alonso on much more fresh tires. So um, that's how he ended up losing a spot and finishing fifth. But he was, you know, competing for fourth place for uh, a good portion of that race. And, you know, just, boy, I mean, if there is an undervalued, uh, driver on on in the in the grid it's nico hulkenberg he's just a phenomenal driver he's shown it year after year race after race yeah and uh, i mean ahead of you know in the force india ahead of both mclarens both williams you know and and, and on and on one of the ferraris and so on um so again so lewis hamilton dominated this thing um nico rosberg was was there, but never, never that close. I mean, it was never really in uh, in contention, which makes you wonder how Australia would have been differently if Lewis's car had been working properly. If hard to say. do you think that Hamilton's setup or his car or something is just sorted out better right now, or is he really you know eighteen seconds faster than Rosberg over the course of a race? Well, I I think that the answer is complicated. I mean, Lewis Hamilton. No, make has... it simple. Oh. Yes. Okay, good. No, Lewis Hamilton has been deemed the lead driver at Mercedes. Lewis Hamilton probably at the end of the day does have more natural speed. However, uh, there is definitely going to be setup changes. And also, uh, don't discount the fact that Lewis Hamilton is going to be stronger at certain tracks. Just invariably, certain drivers have different tracks figured out better than others. There's just... There's a connection there at some place more than others. So, Lewis Hamilton has a driving style for each corner, if you oh, recall. That is so a good point. I did not think that's, of that. That's why he's going to be no, good but, everywhere. But seriously, there's going to be tracks where Lewis Hamilton is stronger, and there's going to be tracks where Nico Rosberg's stronger. And I think Rosberg is ultimately not quite as quick as Hamilton, but um, will be strong in some areas and prove very quick in places. And he did happen to win the race before. Yes. <laughs> so it hasn't necessarily... I mean, I do believe... You tell me now. I'm not looking at the stats. Rosberg should be in the lead of the championship. He's, he finished... He won Australia, and he's finished second in Malaysia. I pretty yeah, much... I mean, 43 points to 25. Hamilton, of course, now 25 points because he's zero points in Australia. So, yeah, of course, Hamilton didn't win in Australia, but you can't really say that was his fault when he had a... Uh, what was a spark... Uh, spark plug wire insulator failure of yes. all the failures to have on this super complicated car and it's a piece of rubber that goes wrong that probably because it's too quiet that yep. sucks yep uh, so cause a problem but, but yeah i mean nico rosberg is right now it has a you know not comfortable but it's with as many races as it is you know a no first, it, a the first championships, and a second is, championships pretty much over i mean, I mean it's really it's not well it would be if it weren't for double points so thank you oh. bernie because finally you have saved the championship being <laughs> Woo, interesting. i know so Woo. uh so just Close. while we're looking at it yeah so it's 43 points for Rosberg, uh, 25 for Hamilton, 24 for Alonso. So two solid finishes, but not, uh, you know, not as many points as one win. Uh, then two it's, fourth place finishes. I mean, then it's, it's Jensen. Quite even, actually. Um, Jensen Button, Kevin Magnussen, Nico Hulkenberg, um, ahead of Vettel. Vettel with seven point, uh, in seventh place with 15 points. So it's cool. Nico Hulkenberg leading Sebastian Vettel in the championship right now. Um, and then it goes on down from there, uh, down to the uh, 
very, very bottom is Daniel Ricardo because he had oh, two DNFs. Just, oh, that's so um, terrible. Well, because oh, it, I can't the, handle Because that. the disqualification is sort of – it's worse you know, because the very bottom of the, all the guys that don't have any points – um, the finishing order is it goes based on finishing order. You know how many right. eleventh well, place and twelfths and thirds and whatever. But Perez is is the worst there in the race by race sense because he has a DNS. You know, did not start has to be even worse than did not finish. Right, I but he hope. had one point because of oh, the, because absolutely. of disqualification. Um, so yes. so Perez is in thirteenth in the championship ahead of everyone who has no points. But Daniel Ricciardo, in terms of the classification, because he was disqualified, is and he has one disqualification, which is like doesn't exist as far as the records are concerned, and one DNF. Puts him at the very bottom below Pastor Maldonado, who has, uh, yeah, who has, you know, not. Uh, you would think, just, yeah. I'm, I'm, that one, I just explain this to me because I've always seen great results from lucky number 13. I don't understand what's happening here. How could, of all the people on the grid, the neat and tidy Pastor Maldonado not be going well. Okay, in I, this, this season, this has this not been his fault, though, this season. That's what's sort of the, the sad part about all this is, like, things keep happening to him that are, like, actually just happening. In this case, you know, engine failures. The Lotus has been terrible for liability. Uh, Pastor did seven laps today and then had a failure and had to retire. Yeah. That just... I mean, I think I think we're gonna start liking him soon because it's like, dude, man, Pastor, we want you to do well, man. He's a race dude, winner. Come on, he he is a race winner in the Williams when the Williams wasn't as strong. I mean, he's he a came from guy. a slow Williams to what looked at the time to be such a fast Lotus. Oh, the Lotus is gonna be so good. Now the Williams is good. And the Just Lotus sucks. roll reversal. And I I really want to talk about that. Um, and then that'll get into kind of the controversy of the race. Was there another elephant in this room? Because it's There's, pretty crowded. It's pretty quiet room. Um, Williams, I, I'm I'm so happy to see them doing well, to see them competitive. The pace between the Williams and the McLaren genuinely looks close. Uh, the McLaren so far has had the edge on the Williams, but it's it's not by a lot. And Williams has some real solid momentum going their way. They have uh, Martini sponsorship, which is hugely important at more than just the surface and money level. I think there's a confidence that gets endowed into the team because they have a title sponsor that's as important as, and as significant as Martini. And the cars are performing well. These are solid Q3 um, points-earning performing cars here. And if things keep going the right way, they have a real chance. And on top of that, um, Valtteri Botas, I think, is really... Uh, gaining maturity and showing uh, some real solid pace. And uh, Felipe Massa is a very determined guy. That's, that's one word for it, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's the whole thing, right, is we had um, the closing stages of the race. Um, we had uh, Jensen Button in the McLaren, followed by um, Felipe Massa. By, by Massa, then Botas, and then Kevin Magnussen and the other McLaren behind him. So and they were all running pretty close together. It was 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. Right. So the key is uh, Botas had newer tires and um, was, you know... Finish. Yeah. Well, so the, the whole thing, <laughs> it's like they're in a sauna. So you know the Finnish guy is going to be like totally comfortable with that. Yeah. He's like, oh, sauna, that's like what I do all the time. So I'm, I'm good with this. I would do this for fun. Except that the Finnish tradition is spend time in the snow, then in the sauna, then in the snow, then in the sauna. The snow part, not really here. They could find him some snow. Whatever. That's, that's the thing. Like a snow cone? So um, A Malaysian snow cone. What would that be? Like red bean? I don't know. I mean, that's China. But why am I talking? I don't know. You should be talking. Okay. So 
the uh, the the call was and this was made it wasn't it wasn't like the last two laps i mean this was what 15 laps to go or something i mean 10 laps mm. it was it was a ways near the end 6 or 7 not 15 okay whatever so 15 and um, <laughs> but no with with you know it wasn't a super last minute you have three corners to comply kind of thing but it was like hey uh, the call on the radio to massa um you know valtteri is setting faster lap times you should let him around you know don't don't impede his progress um, and then the uh, and then the call we heard out to Valtteri on the radio was okay. You know, push hard. You, you're setting better times. You should get around Massa and carry on. And I think I, I don't think we heard anything back from Massa. They didn't. They didn't publicly right. play it anyway. Um, but uh, it's you know Massa made it very clear he doesn't want to be a number two driver in, in all these other interviews and other things. Uh, and you know and then and so didn't allow Botas to go by. Um, and then so you you could look at it a couple different ways. Uh, so he. And then, and then a couple, you know, another lap or two later, they came back on the radio and said, hey, Botas has newer tires. It's like, we're not making a judgment call about your driving here, Felipe. We're just saying, like, for a race strategy, we want him, uh, we want you to let him by. Again, no reply. And again, Massa didn't let Botas by. Well, and I think at, at that second ply, they're like, look, we think Botas has a chance to get around Button. Right. That was the point. They were close behind Button. This was not for the race win and just about points. This was like, if we as a team can overtake another car from another team that's better for everyone so dude let him buy do what's better for everyone and masa said mm, no so what, what how do you feel i mean do you feel like masa um did wrong by the team or yes. do you think the team was just getting a little overzealous and anxious here with team orders i think that you should listen to your boss basically um i mean that's not always the answer you want to hear but that is sort of how it should work, in my opinion. I think if they, if you know, as we, they talked about a bit on our post-race show, you know, the team has more information than the driver. The driver can see what's going on on track, and he kind of knows his own pace, but needs information from the team to know what are the other times around him and who's, you know, what is the bigger picture here in terms of, you know, who else is on what tires and how long are they and how old are they and, and all that. So um, I think if, you know, I, I think Massa was sort of taking his ego and his, you know, personal just you know, just respect for himself as a driver and so on more seriously than he ought to have, because it's not necessarily the case that, Oh, Masa, we think you're bad and we think Botas is great. and We like him better. <laughs> you know? Can you imagine that radio transmission? Masa, we think you're bad. <laughs> Get out of right. the way. But that's, that seems like how he's taking it when it's like, oh. Hey, for strategic reasons, we want you to do this because if our other car has better tires, just the way things have worked out, you know, it's not that we like him better than you. It's just like, Hey, we want you to do this. And he just, didn't reply and, and didn't comply with team orders and so on. Um, and then uh, later I read an article that uh, said, okay, well, they had a switchback plan that if, if they had let Valtteri Bottas by and he failed to get around Jensen Button, then they would have let Massa back by, which to me seems like that's getting Lame. too gamesmanship and too, like, okay, well, we gave him this chance, so now like that's too many people slowing down, and that's not the point. And earlier in the race, um, it was... It was uh, Felipe Massa saying, what is Botas trying to do? He, Felipe Massa was complaining about Botas being as aggressive as he was. And Botas very bluntly said, I have more pace than him. Right. And so the point I'm trying to make here, though, is it's not like Botas is Mr. Teammate Gamesmanship guy either. Right. But, I mean, that's... They are here to race, was one thing. So as fast as oh, either of them see, can be... I didn't know that. They are there to race. Okay. You know, that's... Um, as fast as either of them can be, then, you know, the, the higher up the grid any of them can get, the better um, in terms of finishing position. Um, so the other thing you could say is, okay, well, if Botas were that much faster, shouldn't he have just passed Felipe Massa? But that 
puts him in a very, I think, a very difficult position because you know, uh, obviously Massa is a very experienced guy. Botas not so much, but he's you know he's not a rookie anymore. Um, but if if they had come together somehow, um, then I would hope that the blame would have gone more to Massa because he was specifically instructed to let him buy and so on. But if they'd come together and you know had some kind of crash and slowed down and certainly either lost out on the race entirely or a couple people passed him or whatever, then that would have been a you know the worst case. So I think for Botas, if you know, it's probably pretty hard to get around a super determined Felipe Massa. Um, in, in a, he had better pace, but it wasn't better enough to just whistle by him, um, or he would have done so. Um, so I think it's, uh, you know, it was, it was good that they didn't collect each other. That would have been the worst outcome for the team to say, yes. okay, I'm trying really hard to get around him. If Botas were sort of, you know, had the red mist and just sort of was like, okay, I'm just going to make this work one way or another and plot into the side of him, that would have been bad. And they didn't do that. Um, but I, I do think it, I don't, I don't know. It's not. I don't know if it's a lack of maturity. I guess it's really just the ego thing for Massa to think, okay, the team's telling me to do this. Yeah, it's definitely not a lack of maturity. And I just don't want to, you know, is ultimately what it came down to. I think I know better. Um, okay, 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 okay. Yes, but I think there's some things here. There's more serious implications, and I think that in many ways Massa made a very understandable and ultimately shrewd move, which is making sure the team understands that when he was at Ferrari, he was very much classified as a number two driver in a way that he did not like. It was very clear that he has to follow team orders. He went to Williams with the understanding that, A, probably he's considered the lead driver, if anything, and I I think he is. He's got the black T-bar, not the yellow one, yeah. pretty sure, right? Um. And B that he hasn't he doesn't have to deal with these type of things anymore. So I think what this do, what this did in a very positive way was put his stamp on something to show the team, not just tell them, to show them, hey, I am your lead driver, and I am not just going to give up anything unless I see the value in it. And he didn't. And as were it as it stood, um, you know, Valtteri Botas was not able to get by Felipe Massa. The other thing that I don't think is entirely, uh, I think is uh, just incorrect from the team's point of view, Botas should be able to get around Massa if he's going to have any chance to get around Button. Do you see what I'm saying? I think that it's kind of silly to think, just let let Botas buy and then he'll get right past uh, Jensen Button. Well, no, Jensen Button certainly not going to let him buy and he will fight for it and all no, that kind of thing. No, but they've got a, it's a different car, so maybe if the Durs is more effective, because, you know, of course, the, if they're both right behind Jensen Button, they both have DRS on the straightaways, and they, but the, basically the same car, both Williams are the same aerodynamics and same powertrain and all that, um, will uh, be very, very similar. And it's really just down to does one guy get a little slightly better exit or, you know, the, he's got newer tires. Uh, but that that can mess it up. So I think with a different car, you know, the McLaren's going to be different setup. It's going to have its own different age on its tires and so on. But DRS could be could be better and whatever. So it is different than passing an identical car. But I, I think it would be I think it'd be pretty cool if um, uh, Williams fired Massa. <laughs> and I know you know, but seriously, if you say I want to be at this team, I want to be a number one driver, and if well, maybe okay, firing him is crazy. But it, just if you think about it for a second, uh, then it's like, is it? you know, is it, we hired you to do a job and we want you to get as many points. You know, our, our whole point as a team is to get as many points as possible and as a constructor and blah, blah, blah. Um, and if it's like, dude, we hired you to do a job 
we know what you think about yourself. And it's like they know his history. It's not like they're going to – he's going to, you know, not obey team oh, orders. I mean, his history is Everybody more public about, than just about anyone's. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's not like – I don't feel like he had to put this stamp on it. I feel like this is going beyond – Okay, everybody knows his history and so on. So it's not about I need to tell them something. I need to inform them. It's like, no, everybody knows that. It let's like I think it would be the bigger driver to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. And if he lets him buy, and then he can be, you know, whatever he can say what he wants to to the media, and and you know they can they can have talks about it and so on. Uh, but that uh, to say, okay, it's like, dude, Masa, you're not, you know, a Formula One drive is not a right here. You know, we've given you this job, and we have plenty of reserve drivers lined up, and we have plenty of people for. Uh, marketing and whatever that we can really, you know, get get some other people in the car or whatever if they need to. But uh, to sort of put him back in his place, it's like, dude, you didn't have a drive at the end of last year. And, you know, here we are, like, we're getting you a car. It's a competitive car. You need to play ball with us too. That uh, that would be, I think. Absolutely. But I think, I think what you're, all of what you're saying is correct. But I think Williams was being a little overly optimistic with what they could do with their position. And I think that... It was a little bit haphazard and misguided to just say, well, switch the teams around because Botas is a little bit faster on slightly fresher rubber. To me, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like Botas closed in on Massa a second a lap and then Massa was weaving to block him. It wasn't like that. They raced each other and they raced each other cleanly. You know, Massa didn't give him anything up, but Massa didn't juke on him or play any dirty tricks or anything like that. So I, I feel like it was a bit ultimately misguided and silly for the team to want to push Massa out of the way so quickly. And I think they were being a bit overly optimistic that they were going to get right around Button. Button was a couple seconds up the road. You just always want to support the guy with a brain injury, don't you? Man, this is just typical TBIist again. Listen. Just always going for the guy. If he had a brain injury, he must be right. Well, yeah. And, you know. And if not, then I don't remember, so... Yeah, remember what? What are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> but anyway, I, it's it's fascinating. I I absolutely see your point of view, but I am just in my heart. I'm I I completely see where Moss is coming from and support him. Well, hmm. yeah, hmm. I know TBI a heart and TBI. All right, um, we I don't know. There's 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 a bit more we can talk about, but I do want to get a bit more of the uh, just the the local perspective and flavor from Jamie, if you will, to. Uh, Help finish up, kind of just what it uh, what it feels you know feels like, looks like, uh, and and so on to uh, to be there, and then we can uh, then we can wrap that up and oh, hear from oh, our fans. Oh, you're talking about our, our our pit reporter, our pit report. Do you have a pit love reporter? That I can say that. I love that I can say that and not be kidding. I love that. Other than when it rains, yes, it is it is hot and sticky all the time. Um, I'm kind of wandering up and down the paddock right now, enjoying. Um, the team's kind of wandering in. The, the curfew ended just a little bit ago, so everybody's starting to come to work. Um, it's, it's really good to be here, and, and I'm, I'm really excited for this race. I think it'll be a good race. There's a lot of contenders in it. Um, but, yeah, it's, it should be a fantastic race, regardless of whether we have rain or not. Um, I, I think that this is a fantastic track. It's been really fun to get to know. Uh, it's a beautiful country. The people are really friendly. If, if you ever get a chance to, to enjoy Malaysia and come for the Malaysian Grand Prix, I do recommend it. It, it, is, it is really pretty. Uh, I wouldn't put it on Monza level or you know, Monaco or Hockenheim or um, Hungary or, or one of the classic tracks, but it's certainly I think all the photographers agree that it is one of the better Hermann Tilke tracks. It, it does have a good flow to it, and we all have 
we've always enjoyed uh, tracks that kind of help us out as photographers and, and don't make our lives miserable to, to do the work itself. Um, so it's, it's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you letting me talk. Um, if you want to see some of the pictures I've taken, you can uh, go to my website, www.jamiepricephoto.com, um, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamie Price Photo. Thanks a lot, and enjoy the race, and I will talk to you guys soon. No, Jamie, thank you again for uh, providing us with not only these recording uh, so we can share your voice on the podcast, but also all the beautiful photos and access to them. Uh, stunning, so, uh, stunning photos. And thank you, Robin, for coordinating this whole thing, you know, putting it all together and, uh, and you know, connecting us with Jamie and making the podcast better. I think that's really cool. Just goes to show the value in hitting your head really hard. And but, but I actually, I make that as a joke, and I shouldn't. I, Jamie and I met before my accident. We had a we got along great right from the beginning. You sure great that wasn't guy. just a crazy dream, though? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it wasn't a crazy dream. Although, in a way, it was a crazy dream because I had very little sleep. We first met when we did this uh, article on a Porsche 911 against a Lotus Evora S and uh, got very little sleep before went down to the Carolinas for that. And uh, that's how Jamie and I first met. We got along great right from the beginning, right from the beginning and uh, have... Uh, kept in touch ever since so um great guy I, i'm just pleased as punch that uh this is coming together and it's so cool that you can hear a guy very humbly and honestly tell you what i think is truly incredible because you and i are neither humble nor honest so it's really well, good to finally have that kind of voice on the show <laughs> yeah i tell a lot of the truth sometimes <laughs> <laughs> oh boy so i have seen all over the map in terms of some people uh on team orders thing some people go are pro massa some people are pro williams and some people think this is a terrible race and some people say it was exciting so let's get a quick uh rundown i guess on uh what our various fans have to say oh that's not a bad idea all right Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Fun with Cats. I'm your host, Colin Sato, and I'd like to thank Chloe the Cat for the new introduction. And that is in uh, con consideration for the new intro for our show. That was from <laughs> Colin Sato <laughs> yes. and, uh, and Chloe the Cat. So thank you for that. That's uh, one of the more interesting parts of feedback is when people send us audio clips. Yeah, and, fun uh, little side note. Uh, Chloe actually registers three more decibels oh, on the sound. Oh, shut So as you may have noticed, uh, R is right next to T on the keyboard. So I have almost inadvertently done fun with cats as our hashtag like several times <laughs> in the past. Um, and that's it's one of the dangers of uh, of tweeting tweeting live and trying to tweet quickly, especially during races. You know, doing hash FW cars. Also, uh, quali a lot of times on the phone or computer gets auto corrected to quail. So I've almost said like, oh, interesting quail results we have here from with cats. <laughs> yeah, so that which actually could be fun for cats. So you know, that's uh, this is this show is almost a very I different wonder, show. Yeah, it depends on the size of the cat and the size of the quail. I would think, but I don't know. I don't know the details what? of the anatomy. Well, quails are not small birds. Okay. Why are we having this conversation? I don't know. Should we talk about thimbles instead? <laughs> well, I could go to simplythimbles.com and no. see what's new. Okay. <laughs> but thank this you. This is in with thimbles. Okay. They're amazing. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, we also had an email from uh, Dan Gibbons, who has fun with double points. Uh, so he says he's been a longtime listener to the podcast. Thank you. And I've thoroughly enjoyed every episode. Hearing Thank you. Robin's tales of his recovery from his head injury was a truly hum- was truly humbly and humbling and inspiring. Wow, I can't read. Uh, and it's good to see that the only last effa- lasting effects seem to be a proclivity. Okay, wow. Wow. Hey, I'm, I, I'm enjoying this a lot. Shut up. All right, when I, was the last time you hit your head, hey, sir? It's, it's been a minute. Um, <laughs> seem to be a proclivity for crafting poems of questionable literary value. And uh, that is a very well, lasting effect. Well, uh, mm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like just about every F1 fan, this is Dan continues, I'm not particularly convinced by Bernie's plan for doubling the points for the final race, but I must admit it got me thinking. Since Bernie is a stubborn old git, he's blatantly going to stick to his plan. But why not add an element of risk for the teams whereby every team can declare one race as their double points event? Obviously, they'd have to declare if they were going to use their double points card that race before the practice session kicks off, but this would mean that they could run the risk of wasting their double points on a race where both cars either performed badly or didn't finish. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Mind you, I'm not convinced by any idea. My idea is much less insane than Bernie's. Anyways, thanks for reading my ramblings, and thanks for all the hours of podcasting goodness you've served up over the years. Cheers, Dan. So thank you very much for the email, Dan. And that is actually kind of a clever idea, right, is... is uh, Everyone gets to do it once during the season, so it's, you know, assuming that the races are of roughly equal value, um, you could maybe plan and say, oh, we think our car is going to do well here, either based on the track or based on when that is in the season or when you think the temperatures are going to be right. But I wonder about um, if it makes sense to do it sort of on the Friday beforehand or, you know, on the Thursday or maybe at the beginning of the season, everyone sets out and says, okay, Red Bull, we are going to do this race is our double points race or whatever. Um, I mean, it's 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 a bit crazy, but it's it's kind of fun, right? I mean, what do you what do you think? Total uh, total nonsense or something with uh, something worth worth thinking about? It makes me think of a poem. Oh no, it doesn't. Roses are red. Violets are many colors. Sometimes okay. So I uh, I think what this I think it's a crazy idea. I'll say that first of right. all. But I think the the point Dan makes is absolutely spot on, which is like. This is a more clever way to come up with a crazy idea, but it's a crazy idea. Hey, why are we doing this? And I think that what he's saying is, look, if you're going to come up with something that's ridiculous, at least have some fun with it and turn it into a team strategy effort kind of thing. It makes it a little bit more a game of chess um, to use uh, one of the fun cliches with the sport. So in that, in that sense, I really appreciate it. Because you know what Formula One should really aspire to be? Chess. Yes, the no, excitement. So I, I mean, it's it is in a way taking the the idea to its sort of absurd conclusion, whatever. But I think it is it is kind of interesting thought experiment, right? To think if everyone gets a shot at it, then ultimately the same number of points are on offer for everyone, right? And uh, you know, if you did have to call your call the race beforehand, then where do you think people would go, right? Would you say? You don't want to be the first race because you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you don't want to be the last race because you want to have a bit of a sense of how your season's going and how you need to react to it, right? So you maybe sort of midway through the season, uh, maybe, you know, do you pick sort of Canada or Silverstone or Spa or something to think maybe it's like, okay, after the break, uh, if, you know, for Spa, after the summer break, maybe we think we can do really well. Or Monza, if you're, you know, you think, okay, sure, sure, sure. this is all going to work well. And then, of course, if 
you your cars for whatever reason you know we've had some you know serious retirements already and of course it's the first two races and so on but um it, you know if you blow that weekend then wow that really sucks but of course that's something that could happen in abu dhabi you know people it's people will have the best handle on the cars this year but also people will be looking to next year and, and on and of on. course of course so i think it's actually kind of an interesting thing to to think about okay where if you know where where do we think the teams would pick to be their uh, you know, to be their their double points uh, race, and I wonder if, if all the teams would kind of converge on one, and everyone goes, oh yeah, we think, you know, maybe I don't know if it'd be you know Monza or something. You you figure probably one of the European races and and one of the middle seasons, so they can all get their updates and and so on and try new things. Um, but then that could give a uh, you know a team like a I don't know Force India or somebody could sort of think, okay, hey, we have a chance here to really do something crazy and maybe actually move up in the standings. And then the other teams, the bigger teams, would have to react to it. So I think it's cool. I think it's an interesting uh, way to, you know, sort of think about uh, how I, things might go. I agree with you entirely. The, the one thing I want to add, though, is it, it's ultimately it just highlights the unnecessary, the un, the absurdness, and how unnecessary double points at the end of the race is in the first place. That it even evokes these kind of thought of, thought experience because at the end of the day, you want the sport to be easily digestible enough. Do you know what I mean? You don't want it to require um, tons and tons of explanation to a new fan, right? And I feel like um, that's what this double points um, uh, rule change starts to do is like, okay, well, yeah, they, it's the same for everybody. Well, okay, the last race, they get double the points, you know, and I think it just adds unnecessary complication to the sport. And I think that um, the sport didn't need it in the first place. It's one of those fixing a problem that was never there. Um, and finally, I, I do want to extend a thank you to Dan Gibbons uh, to hear that uh, he appreciated hearing my story and all that kind of fun stuff because, yeah, it was an interesting story to share and very fascinating that it uh, revolves around uh, – it revolves around – that it happened to come – roughly in the same time frame that Michael Schumacher had his accident. So um, I just, I really wanted to say that I appreciate him taking the time to, to respond to us and say that. Yes, we appreciate uh, feedback in all forms. And we got some, also a comment on funwithcars.com from Pure Canucks. I think we can assume that this person is in Canada. Oh, I was, that's not what I was thinking at all. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, regarding the sound, Jim is totally right. Of course, I agree. <laughs> Do you have anything to say on that? Next topic, regarding the noses. Uh, did you notice Masa's car lifted off the ground by Kobayashi's low, low nose? Do the low noses pose more danger for lifting cars off the ground in collisions? And that has been talked about, that the idea is, okay, we don't want to stab other cars in the side, but these low noses can sort of act as a lever and a, you know, a wedge to get under the car in front of you or beside you or whatever. Absolutely. And I think that's... And F1 cars can hit themselves in all different kinds of ways. Right. And there's always, always, always unintended consequences to things like this. Right. In this case, it's really, really ugly cars, but I do think there is uh, the very real problem of flipping another car over by just getting a wedge underneath it and turning it over. So we'll have to see. I don't think anything is going to change... Uh, this season, but a lot like we had modesty panels after step noses, and some cars kind of went for them, and some cars didn't. Uh, we may see a, a you know change to the rules to to look at that. But if it is a safety change, then that is probably something that they're going to study more carefully. I mean, people have to have looked at this right when they were coming up with the new rules and figuring, okay, this is for safety. That it can't just be now that we see some actual crashes that they go, oh, we never considered you know one car wedging another one. But 
at the same time, it does seem like a very real concern. So I think uh, you're right to point that out. And I think that uh, that is something they're going to be looking at, especially if we get some crashes throughout this year to see how things actually happen uh, in the real world. Um, regarding Bernie Ecclestone, can we get rid of him yet? <laughs> he wants to change the end in sound mid-season purely because circuit owners are annoyed that it's different. Regardless of one's position on the new sound, this is bizarre. Uh, he has helped the sport economically for himself, but that's it. Otherwise, he just massively increases the sport's insatiability and crazy quotient. Perhaps I am biased here, but it really does seem like he lives in crazy-go-nuts land. Oh, I mean, I have to defend Bernie a little bit. I mean, don't forget, he's been around since the mid-70s, and he really, he really did bring the whole sport up to another level. Yes, he's made himself fantastically wealthy in the process, but he, he elevated Formula One to a higher status where it becomes a bigger, more important, more important motorsports uh, event for everybody. And that the money involved is more is is bigger, and to some minds better because of that. And I think it also because of that it takes it a little bit away from the gentleman's racer, like you're wealthy, and that's how you can get into it. it takes a little bit of that away and takes it makes now it a little your, bit more your commercial. Your dad is wealthy, and so now you can get into it. <laughs> yeah, kind of more or less. But my point is is that a, a lot of people have benefited from what Bernie has done, not just Bernie. That's my point. This is the guy that sent out his team of lawyers to make us change our name from the F1 show to fun with or to whatever. They didn't specify the new name, but this is the guy. <laughs> I mean, they've yes, they've made you know lots of money. You could even say bajillions of dollars if you're one who says those things. But it it has, I think, you know, has I think he may have outlived his his usefulness for the sport because you know he was one of the ones that yeah transformed it into the way modern sports are with the way money is and, and, you know, treating it seriously economically, not just, oh, a bunch of bunch of teams that come together and say, oh, this is really interesting. We should have a race. This is fun. But really think about the way it's marketed and so on and, and you know, coordinating the TV rights and the way the presenters, uh, the race promoters and all that. But it's like now that's happened. Now we can we can look at what's best, you know, moving forward. And and, and it's not necessarily the same, you know, the same kind of things and the same kind of thinking. So. Um, I, I I agree. He's kind of you know gone off the reservation in uh, in a, a couple of areas and uh, and you know yeah the way that they're the tr- defending the the trademarks and copyrights and now and, you know every um, every article about Formula One that references Formula One has a registered trademark symbol after it and all that as though we're going to get confused with that key on my keyboard that says F1 on it and say oh wait that's not a trademark I mean and you know the fact that he had to sue us as podcast or cease and desist us yeah we did not get sued I, we're, that we point. Are, <laughs> we're just you know excited fans talking about the sport and yet they, they felt that it was important to chase us down and think oh no someone's going to be confused and think that we're the actual Formula 1 broadcasters it's like no that's just dumb so I'm, I mean come I'm with on. no Tier that's Canucks not that dumb this. we sound pretty amazing we, do, we have a pit reporter did you know that we, we a, do we, yes and um, ours is the R's gets even closer than Will Buxton. We we have Will Buxton plus closer. Take that, NBCSN. <laughs> Going on, Pure Canucks. We don't know his or her real name, but uh, Pure Canucks says, regarding the podcast, awesome. And thank you, you for I, that. I tend to agree. And side note, he encourages us, or she encourages us to watch Sky coverage as the commenting is superior, not as superior to yours, obviously. Um, and they have, ad- have answers to several questions we had. I realize you're not in the UK, as I'm not either. Rather, Saskatchewan. Uh, oh, so we were right about that's in Canada, by the way. Oh, but I torrent them and usually get them one day or so later, and this is why I we thought don't know Saskatchewan was an island off the coast of Nubibia. I, I, that's not even a place. Nubibia. <laughs> okay, I, just you know what? Yeah, let's, let's finish the note. No, we'll... let's no. Hold on, let me change it to something I can pronounce. How about off the coast of Georgia? Yes, I can say Georgia. Okay. 
Moving Saskatchewan. on. Saskatchewan. Um, which, eh? if you can't watch them live anyway, you might as well you know, do the downloads, and you also get great pre-quality, post-quality, pre-race, post-race, just a thought. Cheers. And we have done that every once in a while. Yes. Uh, usually it's when the TiVo breaks for some reason. And, <laughs> uh, we need to get the race one way or another. And it is interesting. And it's to me, you get so much more context there that's great when it's like a Sunday morning and you know the race is on at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and you've got friends over, you're having a meal or whatever, hanging out, and it's like 10 a.m. And you get you know five hours of pre-race uh, to watch and sort of get interviews and all that. But part of, uh, a part of our Grand Prix watching weekend is, is a bit of a production schedule. I mean, we want to watch the race and enjoy it, but also we want to put together a show and, and, and have that as, as part of the thing. So we can't actually watch a whole lot of extra content. And so for us, uh, we do have to fast forward through commercials uh, with uh, the way you know, TiVo is and the, you know, with the way the coverage is here. But on the whole, it's sort of not um, – uh, you know, for us, the end goal isn't just being entertained by Formula One, and I agree that you know watching the alternative coverage would do that, but uh, it is part of the efficiency of how we can do so. That, so that's uh, true, and I I want to come to the defense of the American coverage a little bit. No, I'm certainly not trying to argue that it's as good as uh, Sky Sports or certainly BBC. That's the one I know for certain comes top notch. Well, I've seen I don't, so well, much. See, Sky. BBC just does highlights and stuff these days for a lot of the you know they're they're doing fewer and fewer races. Right, so Sky, right. I think, is a, a sort of. Generated the new premiere, regardless, yeah. regarded as top of the heap. Sure, fair enough. But uh, the NBC guys, considering the budget they have and considering the access they have, I think they do an admirable job to get the to get the coverage to us. And I think that uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Will Buxton. He he's a genuine fan. He shows a lot of energy, and I think he's good at asking the drivers questions that aren't um, prodding or controversial. He's good at. Uh, you know, being with the drivers and trying to say, hey, look, I'm not trying to pass judgment on you. I just want to hear what you have to think about this. And I, I appreciate his style. Yeah, I mean, with Massa today, it was like, so are you going to get in trouble when you get back to the garage? It wasn't, you know, you should be in trouble. You should be ashamed of yourself. It wasn't any kind of adversary tone. It was sort of like, between you and me, a couple of buddies, like, that was cool, but are you going to get in trouble for that? Yeah, you know, so I right. think you got maybe a bit more of a, an honest answer than if you sort of said, Masa, you disobeyed team orders. What's that about? Right. So it was, I think, a good, a good tack to, uh, to take it. And it, you have to say, I mean, the, the commenting crew, they, they really leave us with no doubts about it. <laughs> we had a Facebook comment from, <clears throat> I, I'm so happy I could say this, Desi, who is DSJ, don't make me, and she went on to say, just heard the new podcast. I can't believe that Nicole's name caused you more trouble than my own. To settle this, everyone calls me Desi. Huh? See? I'm okay. You aren't the only one tortured by my full name. So you can go on with that as well. Anyway, uh, I also don't like the sounds of the new cars. Can we go back to Canuck's comment? Because they agree that I'm totally right. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. He's a part of the strong uh, Saskatchewan minority that you love to be a part of. Um, I also don't like the sounds of the new cars. I know the new power units are good for the sport and making F1 marginally more relevant for the road car development. Ferrari's boss was complaining two years ago that F1 was only relevant for aircraft technology development. But I don't get the same feeling listening to them. And that's the point that Jamie was making early on. I started watching F1 just just at the beginning of the V10 era. And it really hurts not hearing the same... Uh, sound that hits you in the gut at the start. I will stand right behind Desi with the air horn as well, and just <laughs> I, it'll it'll, it'll get agreed, you in the gut. We agreed, air horn and a comb. Yeah. And um, anyway, the opening laps of Australia were really exciting, but I hope the rest of the field catch up with Mercedes GP fast, like Williams not shooting themselves in the foot when qualifying. 
because we might end up with another German cruising 30 seconds ahead of the pack in every race. Little known stat, we now have listened to the German anthem in 15 consecutive races. Oh, that's a fun stat. Well, it's been 16 now because we had the Constructors' German anthem for Mercedes today. Yes. Since Alonso won in Spain, it has been Vettel or Mercedes in every race. And so, uh, uh, Desi, thank you so much. First of all, thank you so much for giving me the much easier pronounceable uh, shortened version of your name. Because Desi Slava Simonova. Oh, see, so you're just going to go for it. And it's just well, gonna... I'm trying. This is effort. This is me giving effort. See, and you ruined it. No, you ruined it. You already fell Jim off the rails. You missed an it. E there in Simeonova. But anyway. <clears throat> Desi. Anyway, Desi went on. She uh, asked us another question. This one is regarding this race. And uh, since we're here, I think we should do it. How do you feel about Felipe Massa disobeying team orders? I think the situation is exactly the same as Multi-21 last year, yet there is no righteous anger in social media or calls to fire slash suspend Massa. Righteous anger, suspend Massa! <laughs> well, I actually didn't read that before, but I think I advocated for firing and or suspending him. <laughs> also, Botas didn't really act like a drama queen similarly to some people in RBR last year. So I think uh, you have a good sense of where Desi falls on the issue. I'm... I am just, I don't know, in my heart, I support what Massa did because I just, I have a lot more sympathy for him. I know where he's coming from, but I take a context point of view. Basically, I, I, at the face of it, I have to agree. Yes, the team asked him to do something. He works for the team, not the way, not the other way around. And he would dissipate the team. That's the end of it. However, I just really That's have, the end of it. However. <laughs> I really have a hard time with. Uh, the team giving that order out in the first place, and I think that's that's where there's just real issue for me. Yeah, I think we've we've uh, we've set our piece on the rest of it. Um, so as usual, we have well, we have a lot of feedback, a lot lot going on in the show today. Yeah, um, we uh, always appreciate the others. We've got plenty of comments on uh, on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, including. Did you know uh, Christian Horner has a girlfriend? What? I know, and it's freaking ginger spice, man. So uh, the Hornets are all up in arms about that. That's 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 a deal. Wait, 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 wait. Is it seriously one of the Spice Girls? Yes, Jerry Hollowell, man. That's uh... wait. It's okay, so they're, they're walking arm in arm. Are you not keeping up with the Hornets? So like, the Pussycat Dolls have got their got their in through Lewis Hamilton and Nicole Scherzer, and uh, now. Uh, the Spice Girls are trying to up the ante by getting an F1 team principal and a soccer player who's good looking. And I don't know if he's anything else, but he's good at looking. He's very good at looking. <laughs> and uh, wow. What does that have to do with our comments, by the way? That's what that's a comment. That's from Craig Wilson brought this to our attention. Craig brought that to our attention. Who who's Craig? Uh, Lori Jordan enjoyed <laughs> the race and was thrilled. Uh, we had some of the people saying that the uh, the race was the worst thing ever. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, Massa once again told his teammate is faster than he is. And, uh, and anyway, so we've got, we've got plenty to talk about. And yeah. if you want to say your piece, uh, please do join us on Facebook, uh, the best way or, uh, you know, emails, uh, comments on the, uh, on the website, uh, comments on our, our YouTube posts and all that kind of thing. But, uh, funwithcars.com is a starting point for all those things. And then you can send us feedback in whatever way you prefer. And real quick shout out to Neil Popham, Scott Christie and Ron Kasky. Um, for uh, comments right on Facebook uh, directly to our Australian Grand Prix podcast. Shout-outs to them. (laughs) 
finally I can come into this section with a little bit more pride. It is time for predictions, and I predicted predictably by doing well. Yeah, man. So as we've talked about, we had a change to the prediction format, and that is that anyone's predictions from the previous race, if they don't remember to go and change them, and you always have the option of changing them ahead of, uh, ahead of the free practice for the following race, um, but the predictions from the previous one would carry on. So that's a bit of a mixed bag for me because I came in 88th uh, in our predictions. I am like right in the middle um, with only two points. You know, we had enough people predicting Ham Ham or Hamilton Rosberg. Um, I went the other way. I went Rosberg Hamilton, which was only good for two points. But we have so many people predicting that uh, that puts me in 88th spot just for this race particularly. Uh, you tied lots of folks with zero points. So yes. congratulations to you. Yes. But more importantly, there are four folks, Louise Marks. Ann Shaw, Jamie Bell, and Craig Thurston, who have zero points so far. So far, for two races, they have predicted perfectly, and uh, two of them I know are Hornets, so they're probably going to be all crazy falling off their game now that Christian Horner has a girlfriend, so hopefully they will start <laughs> really, you know, racking up the points and making but crazy calls. But a Spice Girl, really? I mean, isn't there another, you know, all-female, so, you know, pop act that we could, like, get into the Formula One world somehow? But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, um, wait. It's going to be the... okay. We got to get David Beckham into Formula One first, and then no, we don't. Well, no, it's we fine. don't. It's... Yeah, let's, let's you're right. Just... It's fine. It's I'm okay. worried. So overall, I have five points, which doesn't sound so bad. But I'm in 40th place. We have so many fans that right now are just way better than me. At, I'm uh, 65th with at, 11. Ed picking things, uh, but yeah, you uh, say 65th place uh, with 11 points. But the good news is. Team Human, Damien, our spreadsheet, basically for the Vettel Vettel call for Australia, still has 29 points and is in 125th spot. Yeah, so, take that. Take that, spreadsheets. Stupid <laughs> spreadsheets being all heuristic. Our statistical model. So, But anyway, it, it, it's, it's going to be... It's going to be more exciting for a while, uh, thankfully, because the Red Bull team shows promise and they might prove to be a top team in the very near future but right and so they're not going to be alone in that space right so hamilton hamilton seems like you know the gen- general call to make certainly that's what damian thinks because yes, of course well, hamilton was on poland one of the rates this weekend no, hamilton thinks that's going to ha- or damian thinks that's going to happen again but but the reliability thing, you know, all like in Australia, anyone who picked Hamilton for the win was got a whole bunch of points. So that is that it's it's like not a like you know Vettel Vettel last year was like either he's going to win or he's going to be pretty close. You know, in statistically, you were very good at that. Now it's like Hamilton Hamilton is a pretty safe bet if it all goes well. But we don't know that it's all going to go well. So there's a bit more of a chance, I guess, this year of uh, of a catastrophic failure and of scoring lots of points from doing so. That said. What are you thinking? Oh, you're going to make me go first. Well, you know, this is a risk. Time to go Jetson Jensen again. Oh. <laughs> you're I I it's funny because I think this I think my pick is going to be surprising um but it's just it's so ironic that I'm doing this on pole position. Sebastian Vettel. And to win the race. Sebastian Vettel. Here's why I'm doing this. I know he's done very well in Bahrain before. I know that Bahrain is a different type of track. And I know that the team will use whatever voodoo and evil tricks they can possibly come up with that Daniel Ricciardo doesn't <laughs> do better than a Vettel. So I don't know. I, I, think, I think it's possible that Vettel could come in and surprise a lot of people. Here's the thing. When, that, when the Red Bull's working, it's quick. And maybe they don't have quite the same straight line speed as the Mercedes, but I think, 
I think they could be awfully close. I could also be catastrophically wrong, but I am taking a risk here. Vettel, Vettel. Nice. That's actually, I, I, I recognize that's a risk, but it's not the craziest thing. I think that is the trend. Um, you know, Red Bull does seem to be catching up. I mean, if you look at their progress, most improved, whatever, from not running any laps in the first yeah. practice. And Bahrain is, less, Bahrain is less than a week away. So, you know, they're going to be close. Right. And, you know, Mercedes is still very likely to be very strong, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Well, that, that's cool that you're, uh, you know, going out there in a little bit, and uh, I hope that works out well for you. But I really don't because I want to win. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm actually in agreement with Damien on this one, and I think it's uh, all Hamilton all the way. I've still yeah. got my Hamilton shirt, you know, from his, uh, from his McLaren days, and I, oh, I wear that yeah. every once the in a while. The good old for, days. For good luck. And, uh, you know, I just I think that's, uh, that for now is going to continue on that way. Well, um, I mean, uh, yeah. listen, way, I, I had Hamilton better. Hamilton for this race. It was absolutely correct. And honestly, it there's a big part of me that's like, dude, just go Hamilton Hamilton again. But I just just for the sake of argument, right? I, I, this is kind of my wild card, you could say. Yeah. Well, hey, we're still better than the uh, spreadsheet for now. So yeah. uh, I guess if I spreadsheet, if I get the same points as it does, then uh, I can maintain my my lead over it. And uh, and do well, and I just I've got to make up some ground over these uh, you know these these humans in the top uh, you know the top forty places or whatever ahead of me. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, that's I'm thinking I'm thinking it's going to be Hamilton. Uh, it's going to go all the way and uh, is going to do well. And it's just a week away, like you say, so yep. uh, we don't have to wait long. So um, you know we're getting towards the end of the show, and uh, we feel like uh, you know it's hard. We we're not trying to over dramatize or you know say something just because it has to be said. But at the same time, a big part of the weekend was the news of the Malaysian Air Flight MH370 mm-hmm. that um, has gone missing. And, you know, the, uh, the firm evidence on it is still quite sparse. And because this is such a recent and important piece of news and because it was out of Malaysia and that's where the Formula 1 grid was, it, it did. It had a very sobering effect on uh the race and the crowd you could tell just wasn't as into it and wasn't as enthusiastic as they normally would be and rightly so and uh you know jamie noticed that too the missing plane in malaysia has has dampened the race a little bit i haven't ever been here before but you can kind of tell that you know there there just hasn't quite been the crowd presence that you might expect for a formula one race um i know they said beforehand that it was a little bit the Malaysia wanted to do the F1 race, but that it wasn't really in a celebratory mood like you normally have for an F1 race. Um, but yeah, it has it has dampened the mood a little bit. There's there's big signs in the hotel we've been staying in with you know stickers and signs and, and names written on a board that says "Pray for MH370." Um, so you know, hopefully this race will give the Malaysian people something else to think about for for two hours or three hours, depending on if we get a rain delay in this. So we did have what I think was an entertaining race and a, a you know good diversion for a while, and uh, hopefully uh, you know as this, the news is still coming out about uh, about the flight and it's still you know just finding out more things. So I just I hope that over the course of the next week, uh, you know questions get answered for the families uh, and and you know everything we can just. Uh, move forward and uh, on to more on to more positive things. So certainly uh, we will continue on with Formula One. We just have a week until China. Yes. And, uh, no, it's Bahrain. I've kept used these used to be back to back with China. We have we, we have three weeks until China. Right. 
like I said, <laughs> no, but, uh, but Bahrain coming up uh, and, uh, and as a night race, which actually makes it reasonable time for us. It's on like a you know, late so, morning, which so should fantastic. be nice. So, I'm uh, quite happy with that. Yeah, you may hear more from us on Facebook and or Twitter uh, next week during the race. So definitely uh, please stay tuned to funwithcars.com for updates. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all that. Until then, I am Jim Lau. And I am Ron Warner. And this is not the end of the show. Jim does not know about this. And that's, you know, quasi-exciting, but whatever. If this it, is a poem, I'm going to leave. This is not a poem. Okay. This is not a poem. What Jim may or may not want you to know is his birthday is coming up in the very near future. And uh, I am usually late to everything, but not this time. I am ahead of time. I bought Jim a present. I bought Jim a present, oh and I have it here. What in the world I is packed this? it. My, I, I, I'm sorry. Wrapped it myself. And Jim's going to open it live-ish. We're taped. Whatever. Okay. Not, there's no tape. <laughs> what in the world do we yeah, have? Yeah. You wrapped this yourself. Right? I totally did. With the Amazon box. Well, it's, you know. You have to be creative. Oh, yeah, no, I can see. There's, this is hand taped here. This okay. is this is the finest hand taping, and and you and? know, I made the cardboard myself. Oh man, look at Not this! Not really. Oh. Yeah, see, that's very official wrapping yep. paper sound. No. Oh man, thank you. Look at this. So this is a very large box of anyone who has ever you know played <sighs> with any toys knows exactly what that sound is. That, my friend, is Legos, and uh, so this is <laughs> Lego Technic uh, Grand Prix Racer, it's called. Yes. And this is not an officially, like, because the you know, Lego had the Ferrari tie-up for a long time. Yeah. But this one looks cooler, so this is, it, it looks actually kind of like an older McLaren. It's like silver and white and red, um, but uh, this is awesome, though. Thank you very much for this. Yeah, and, uh, and it's got a lot of, like, legit moving parts in it, the moving engine and, and yeah. steering wheel. With and I the... can tell why you like it, because it's got the little engine in it, and it's a V8. It is a V8. It, it's... You know, yeah. Fun little fact: your toy will be four decibels louder than a modern F1 car. <laughs> Thank you, dude. I appreciate it. Ah, yeah. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you still just had to get that in there. I had to get that in there. Yeah. Just like this poem: roses are red. I don't even care anymore. Violets I'm just looking, I'm just are so and so, and la da 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 da. Yeah. No. I think what we got to do. I think we should build that thing together. And, you know, do something cool with it because it's cool and fun. And it's nerdy. And come like on. Like build it as a V6 and put a little Lego turbo on there? Yeah, totally. Ooh, we put the errs in there. No, it's, you know, it's a fun little thing. No, and I this think it's is cool. sweet, dude. Yeah, thank you. That's cool. So this is now really it. I am Robin Warner still. And uh, once again, a big thank you to Jamie. Um, we're, you know, go to jamiepricephoto.com. Check out Jamie Price Photo on Twitter and Instagram and all the things. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just, I have to say, no, no word of a lie here. It is phenomenal photography, and he really grabs the spirit of this. And the reason why, I think, is because he's a real and genuine heartfelt fan, and that comes through in photography. 